looking beyond the cross. So that you and I don't grow weary and lose heart in our battle, in the war that you and I face, in that uphill climb that you and I experience, the writer of Hebrews says that we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus. He was our supreme example. And of him it says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. May I suggest to you today that Jesus looked beyond the cross that he looked beyond the suffering, that he looked beyond the pain, that he looked beyond that time of separation from God, that he looked beyond carrying the weight of the world, of the sin of the world, upon his shoulders. He looked beyond that and he saw something that caused him great joy and great delight. And if you and I are going to follow God, if we're not going to lose heart and we're not going to grow weary, there's times where you and I have to look beyond the cross as well. He looked beyond to a better day. And that's something that you and I have to learn how to do. And how do we learn? One of the easiest ways to learn is by watching somebody else's example. So we fix our eyes upon Jesus. Now, most of you, you've been around the church for a while, and you know the story. You know the account of the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had spent the evening there in prayer, and as the evening was in the middle of the night, we find that Judas comes into the garden with a group of soldiers, and he betrays Jesus. And there, that evening, Jesus is arrested. And what does Peter do? You remember, Peter pulls out his sword, And he strikes one of the men with the sword and cuts off his ear. Now, do you think he was going for the ear? I have a feeling he wasn't headed for the ear. I think Peter was trying for the center of his skull is where he was headed. But Jesus heals the servant's ear and he tells Peter to, Peter, put that away. Jesus offered no resistance. He said, I've been with you guys all this time. Why are you coming? I've been preaching and teaching in the synagogues. Why are you coming after me in this way? He willingly goes with them. We find, as you go on with the rest of the account, that Jesus was brought, and before Pontius Pilate and Herod, in Luke 23, verse 9, it says that King Herod plied him with many questions, but Jesus did not answer him a word. In the book of Matthew 27, verse 12, it says that when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. This refusal to speak up in his own defense was something that Isaiah had spoken about Hundreds of years before. Isn't it something how God works? Isn't it something God's plan? That God knows so far in advance the things that are going to take place in your life and mine? And God has a perfect will. He has a desire for how we are to respond to situations and circumstances. In Isaiah chapter 53, if we had more time, we would read throughout the whole chapter there. But in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7... It says of Jesus that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Let me ask you a question. Why didn't Jesus speak up? 
Why didn't he defend himself? Pastor, why did he stay silent? I believe that at that very moment, he was looking beyond the cross. Just like the song in the video that we saw. That he was looking beyond the cross. He was looking beyond that moment of pain, that moment of grief, that moment of sorrow. Jesus was well acquainted with the scripture. In fact, we know this. We know that he was the word. John wrote that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen him. We've beheld his glory. He knew what must take place so that every single scripture would be fulfilled. It was all part of God's divine plan. He knew what Isaiah 53 said about him. And you know what? You and I need to know the word. When we're acquainted with the word, we don't have to respond in the flesh. We can respond instead how God's word instructs us to respond. But when you and I fail to be in the scripture and we fail to avail ourselves of the word of God, we're going to end up acting just like the world acts. Have you ever noticed that when you're in the word, when you're spending time in the word and you're seeking God, that whenever situations come up, you're able to respond in a spiritual manner? Me and Landon did our, one year, two years ago, we were doing devotions together and we had these particular devotions laid out for the year from January to the end of the year. And we were reading the different portions of the Bible each day. And we were late. Any of you ever been late? Get behind. Or, you know, we can have it on the computer where you can check each day off. And we were late. And a situation arose at school for Landon. And so that we kind of handled that. He dealt with that situation. And that evening, whenever we read the Bible, the thing that we read the Bible about spoke exactly to the situation that he'd experienced that we were a day late for. What a great teaching for Landon in fifth grade or fourth grade to be able to say, buddy, do you see why it's important that you read God's word? Because God knows even whenever we're allowing the computer to lay out for us a Bible reading program for the year, even when we're allowing the computer to do that, that doesn't happen by chance. God knew exactly what he was going to experience And as he read the scripture for that day, if we would have been on time, he would have known exactly how to respond. If we do not, here's the challenge though. When we don't avail ourselves of the word, you'll simply respond as we naturally do. And how is that? In the flesh. Another thing, why didn't Jesus respond? Jesus did not need the approval of man, or to have everybody understand him. Jesus sought to please one. He sought the approval of one, his heavenly father. And God knew that he was innocent. And because of that, Jesus was able to be quiet. We find this, that because of the strength that comes from a personal, intimate relationship with the father... When you and I have that personal, intimate relationship with the Father, and we know that our lives are pleasing to Him, we can keep our mouths shut a lot more, can't we? 
We don't have to respond to everybody's concern or everybody's criticism. We don't have to be shaken inside. We can be quiet and allow God to be the one who defends us. We can allow God to be the one who responds because we know this. If I please him, I've been successful. You can spend all your time, you can spend a lot of energy trying to please and care for and make other people happy and make other people understand. And you can have right intentions and have the right heart. And at times people will misunderstand and they'll not receive you and they'll maybe even reject you. But when we understand that our greatest goal is to please the Lord, we can have peace. Another reason why Jesus didn't need to respond is because he knew the promise of the scriptures. He kind of read the book. And he trusted in the Father and was obedient to his will. He knew this. He knew that death, even death on a cross, even this darkest death that he was going to partake of so that you and I would not have to experience. There's a death that Jesus experienced that you and I will never have to taste of. He knew this separation from the Father. He knew what it was like to be separated, and he bore the sins of all the world, the punishment of all mankind, so that you and I would not have to taste of that. He knew that that was not the end of the story. This cross that he was going to experience was going to be followed by the glory of his promised resurrection and the ultimate accomplishment of God's plan of redemption for mankind. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that we just read there earlier that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus understood what Isaiah prophesied once again hundreds of years before when Isaiah said this, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. If you're taking notes, write this one thing down. The cross is not... The end. The cross is a means to the end. Get that in your heart. Get that in your spirit. The cross is not an end. The cross is a means to the end. Our victory follows the cross. Victory through God's resurrection power. God always connects the cross with the resurrection. The cross is not by itself. It's one part of God's plan. It's one aspect of God's plan. It doesn't end there. Henry Blackby writes this. He says, if there was no resurrection, it would mean the cross had defeated the purposes of God. The enemy would have won, and there would be no salvation. On the cross, Jesus Christ in his body carried the weight of the sin of the world. But not until three days later when he rose bodily from the dead was God's plan of salvation made complete. Sin had been dealt with decisively. And the evidence of that fact was the risen living body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection was the culmination and final fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. What did the apostles preach? They didn't just preach the crucifixion. If you go back and look at the book of Acts, look at Acts chapter 2. 
Peter stands up and he preaches to them. And the Bible says that the people were cut to the heart. They were just cut to the very core of their being. He says, this Jesus who you crucified. This Jesus who you crucified. What does he say to them? That God has raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. As Jesus looked ahead, you've got to understand this, friend. The word says it was for the joy that was set before him. Because of that, he was able to endure the cross. He endured it for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? Jesus knew that the cross was not the end. The punishment was not the end. The suffering was not the end. The rejection was not the end. It was simply a means to an end. God had something greater for him. The resurrection. The book of Acts from the very beginning was when they preach, they preach Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead. We cannot preach the cross and stop there. We don't stop. When you're preaching the cross, we're not preaching just the suffering of Jesus. We're not just preaching the sorrow of his soul. We're not just preaching the penalty that he paid for sin. We're not just preaching his body laying in a tomb, a borrowed tomb. That's not the conclusion of preaching the cross. The cross, once again, was not an end, but a means to the end. When we preach the cross, we declare the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We declare that Jesus overcame both death, hell, and the grave. That God raised Jesus from the dead. Death and the grave could not hold him. Friend, God has the final word. And his final word was not death. His final word was life. So when Jesus looked, he had this understanding of what the word said. How was he able to be quiet? How was he able to endure that? Because he knew what the Father had already said. He knew what the prophets had foretold. He understood that in three days he would rise again. Jesus understood that the cross must happen. But he also understood that if the cross had to happen, that the resurrection had to happen as well. In the book of John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus makes this statement to them. He said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken to them. He knew all along that this cross is not the end. This suffering is not the end. This surrendering myself is not the end. This is just a means to an end. There's something greater for me. The resurrection. The resurrection power where God is going to display his glory to all of man. When Jesus rose from the dead, all of those people recognized and saw the power of God displayed. They're like... We saw him die. We put him in the tomb. We carried his body there. There was no pulse. He wasn't sleeping. We know he was dead and God raised him up. But it doesn't end there either. 
the resurrection power, he understood that God was going to not only raise him from the dead, but God was going to exalt him to the highest place and give him a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For what purpose? To the glory of God. To the glory of God. He understood that I got to bear this right now. I got to endure this right now. There's a better end that's coming. He understood that whenever he rose from the dead, that he would have completed the work of redemption for mankind. He understood that as he rose from the dead, it was an outward expression to all of the world that God has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Now you say, Pastor, this is really good. However, how does this apply? What does this do for me now? Well, there's two things I believe that applications that we can make from this. Because of Jesus' ultimate victory over death, hell, and the grave, because of the price that he paid, and because he overcame, the Bible says that he made a public spectacle, the powers of darkness. He made a public spectacle over them. Jesus triumphed over them. But because of his victory over sin, you and I can have victory. Over sin. Because he paid the price, because he won the victory, you and I, who are in Christ, have now been given victory over sin. Death will not hold us as we're in Christ. Everything that you and I need for a victorious living is found in Christ. Everything that we need. And because of his victory, the scripture says, the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead that will dwell within us. It's going to dwell within us. That same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead. When we're in Christ, that spirit lives within us. It will quicken our mortal bodies. We can have victory over temptation, over habits, over addictions, over wrong thinking patterns, over wrong attitudes, over the flesh, over any power of darkness, we have victory. We have already read the end of the book. Jesus, Jesus, see, here was the thing. Jesus read what it said. He knew what it said about him, and he believed and he trusted himself to the Father. And so you and I, as we believe and trust ourselves to the Father, we can experience that same victory. We try to give you some good advice and some good counsel and give you wisdom, but let me tell you where our victory comes from. Our victory comes from putting our whole hope and our whole trust in what Jesus did upon the cross. Remember the old hymn? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest brain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. What is my hope built upon? What is your hope built upon? Our hope is not built upon how good I did this week. It's not built upon that. It's not built on how much time I spend in prayer. We need to pray because when we pray and we seek God, it brings us into intimacy with God. And when we have intimacy with him and get to know him better, it's easier for us to trust him. But all of the things that we're doing is trying to bring us to a place where we trust completely and totally upon God, where we don't rely upon our own strength, our own abilities. We don't rely upon, well, if I do step one, two, and three. All of those things that we try and do are kind of trying to direct us to that point where we ultimately come to is, Lord, I trust completely in you. 
I don't have any right to come into your presence other than. So here's the thing. On my best days, I don't have any right to come into his presence other than the price that Jesus paid. The blood of Jesus. And his blood enables me to come boldly into the throne room of God and make my petitions known. To trust in him completely. So we have that aspect that because of what Jesus' ultimate victory, you and I have victory. The other application I want to share with you is this. We told you that Jesus looked beyond the cross. Like our video, he saw you and me. He saw us. He saw us in our hopeless, helpless situations. He saw us when no one else saw us. He says, I'm going to do it for him. It's for him. It's for her. That's why. But Jesus understood. We share with you this. Jesus understood that the cross was not an end. It was a means to an end. Now, there's some crosses that Jesus is asking you to take up. Taking up the cross means surrendering my will, God. It means I have no more right, and I don't claim my rights anymore when you take up your cross. To even the good things. Don't claim my rights anymore when you're taking up your cross. Some of you think that that's the end. Okay, Lord, I'm going to surrender this to you, and then that's the end. Friend, that's the means to the end. There's some things that God's asking you. Give this, surrender this to me. Die to this. And we think, well, that is the end in itself. God just wants me to give up this thing that I long for, this thing that I really hold valuable. God just wants me to stop saying bad words or or God just wants me to stop doing this particular thing or this sin or that sin. No, whenever you take up your cross, it's a means to an end. It's not the end. It leads to victory. Hmm? You mean just taking up my cross is not the end? No. It's your means of victory. It's the joy. When you take up your cross, whatever that is that God has asked you to take up, whatever it is he's asked you to surrender, whatever he's asked you to crucify, when you do that, it's the means to the joy and the victory that you've been longing for. And here we are kind of resisting the cross. Oh, I don't know if I want that one, God. I I don't know if, if I can handle that. But by you taking up your cross, when Jesus endured the cross, when you endure the cross, there's joy that's set ahead of you. There's victory that's set ahead of you. When you endure the cross, it's really the bridge. There's those things that God's asking you. Take up your cross. Surrender this to me. Die to yourself. And you're saying, I can't, I can't. All of this idea that you can't do it is keeping you back from the joy and the victory that's set ahead of you. We're going to close. And as we do, I'd just like to ask you this. Will you allow what Jesus did? I know I'm speaking to many people here today who you are born again. And you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Will you allow his victory to be yours? Will you just receive it? And just receive it. Well, pastor, I've invited Christ into my heart. I've prayed to prayer. I'm walking after him. But will you just allow his victory to be yours? Will you put your trust? Lord, I know that what's going to be worked out in my day-to-day life. Will you just allow his victory to be yours?
Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. It dwells within you. And in the weeks ahead, we're going to be preaching about what that means is our victory over sin, our victory over temptation. But that same power that raised him from the dead dwells in you, abides. I'm going to say this, it abides in you. His spirit abides in you. It is resident within you. You don't have to hoop it up, dance it up, shout it up, scream it up. It abides in you as a child of God. Can we allow that to be released? And let me say this to you, finally. Will you allow the cross that he's asking you to bear, that thing he's asking you to surrender, whatever he's asking you to die to, to give up your will, will you agree with him? And see that as you do that, as you yield that to him, that that's going to be your means to victory. Whatever it is that he's asking you to lay down. We just agree with him. You know, Jesus was in obedience to his father. There's things we don't want to experience. I'm going to tell you what. When you look ahead and you see, because you can read the end. I've read the end. I know where I'm headed. I know what he has for me. Doesn't matter what the enemy tries to do. Doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter what I experience here. He settled it. He said what my end is going to be. You know, I'm going to have crowns that I'm going to take off and I'm going to throw at his feet. For billions of years, I'm going to be in his presence. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more sorrow, no grief, no suffering. Those of you who have sickness in your body, there'll be no pain. It'll all be removed. We'll spend eternity in the presence of God. And we will rule and reign with him. That's what's awaiting me. You know what? It's worth a little bit of endurance that it takes right now. And then we will not regret a moment of what we think we've suffered here or what we've endured here because for the glory that's set laid ahead of us. Jesus, thank you for our friends here today. And I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would simply speak to our hearts. I pray that people would, in this congregation, would live and experience the victory that comes because of your victory upon the cross of Calvary. I pray for the things that would try to beset us, to hold us back and to slow us down. I ask in Jesus' name that you would stand up against every power, every lie of the enemy, every wrong thought that would try to cause us to doubt or to resist the will of God. I just pray, God, in Jesus' name that we would learn just very quickly, just learn it so quickly, Lord. We may experience the cross for a period of time, but after the cross comes the resurrection. After the cross, Lord, comes the exaltation and glory being brought to your name. Lord, thank you for the power that raised Jesus from the dead, and thank you that that power is available to us today. Lord, let us never live below where you have placed us. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.